music, news, interviews, live events, and more. Welcome to the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. It's Matt Pinfield, and it's the Hivecast, and my guest today is Amy Mann. Amy, so good to see you again. Good to see you. Last time I saw you, you were performing in the studio down at RXP, the radio station, which keeps coming and going away again, but uh, you were great that morning. <laughs> Thanks. That's, Thanks. What is that? Was that like 2009? It's I been a feel while. like it was a very long time ago. I can't remember. Yeah. Speaking of you know going back in time, is, does it blow your mind sometimes now when you think about how long ago the First Till Tuesday record was? I mean, do you see... When you look back at that Amy man, you as a young woman, what do you think? It you... just seems so so long ago, you know, at the point where I it doesn't really exist. I mean, it just doesn't really feel real, you know, some some other lifetime ago. It really does, doesn't yeah. it? Now, speaking of lifetimes, this is your eighth studio album, Charmer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I love some of the things that I read that you've said about the word charm and how it can be taken, how it can be, you know, tell me tell me a bit about that, why you chose it as a title. Well, the the original thought was um, I was writing a song about about a friend of mine who who was very charming, and so I kind of started writing it. But as as it went along, and I really started to think about charm, I realized that that you know each verse got kind of successively darker, and then it you know and my friends is, is charming in a, in a nice light frothy way, you know there's no sinister edge to him, but it got me thinking about that topic and. You know, the things that I ad- admire about people who are charming and then how sometimes charm kind of edges into narcissism. And, and in order to be really charming, you have to really be aware of the impression you're creating and impressions kind of have to be your priority and appearances have to be your priority. And just, you know, I mean, that there's like a there's part of that is nice and sort of social, but part of that can sort of abut manipulation and you know, having an agenda. So I don't know. I just thought it was, I find that kind of thing interesting. And I mean, in general, people are fascinating to me and all their stuff. And, you know, but that was just this one particular thing that kind of got me started on that topic. And then when it came time to, you know, write the 11 songs on the album and things you did, did it, did it kind of come in with a theme? Were you looking into relationships and people cynicism well I, I I always am I you know I mean I don't write in a cynical way at all like it's always just to try to understand people and uh you know and some of the songs I had already had uh but but Charmer was one of the first and I think Charmer sort of set the tone for the record I you know I, I kind of wanted Charmer to be a you know the forerunner of the of the sound I wanted a really pop sound and you know some of the pop references are are older kind of 60s sort of Jimmy Webb references some of our kind of 70s sort of more classic uh, 70s pop songs like um what were some examples you were thinking well the one example is this song called jackie blue by the, yeah but ozark mountain daredevils <laughs> one of the greats yeah which is fascinating <laughs> because they never did anything remotely resembling that song but it was such a perfect pop song and i've been obsessed with it ever since it came out and i've been listening to that a lot so that was like a real touchstone for a, a certain kind of sound and a certain kind of approach it's a beautiful song, isn't it? And it's, it's really great. Yeah. Did you know when I first heard that song, I never knew whether it was a male or female singing the lyric because of the voice is yeah. very. It's very kind of it, it rides the. 
like an asexual line. You just don't know. Yeah. It doesn't have and a masculine And then also Jackie Blue is like, is that a guy or a girl? Yeah it's, yeah, it's got a really odd sort of dark, you know, it paints this interesting picture and you're not really sure what's going on. It's You know, it's funny because that band is also, you know, they've been associated with, I mean, their other songs are more like country, like Very if you want to get to heaven. Yeah, yeah. And that was in <laughs> Jesco, The Dancing Outlaw. Did you ever see that, no, that crazy? No, no. <laughs> there's a really crazy documentary about this, uh, you know, area of West Virginia where this crazy guy was that broke into the general store and was snorting lighter fluid and then he like just all this weird just really crazy they found these people and that song was like the theme song that he was dancing to if you want to get to heaven the whole time I'm sure the band wouldn't have appreciated it oh you never know (laughs) yeah you know what I mean actually maybe they thought it was pretty funny but it's great you were listening to that so you mentioned that 60s and 70s stuff and when you think Jimmy Webb are you thinking like Galveston or, yeah, you know? Yeah, I was thinking sort of Glenn Campbell-y kind of stuff. And then, you know, but all the way into the 80s, you know, and then like the Cars and Blondie, that, you know, like that first burst of new wave when rock bands first got a hold of, of synthesizers. And, and uh, you know, I, for, for me, I thought it was, it was interesting because at the time when I first heard that stuff, it just sounded like so crazy and so different. And then going back and listening to it, you go, this is basically a rock band with a guy just playing kind of a synth on top of it like you would any keyboard. Yeah, like those structures of those songs, yeah. they could be reworked for just straight Same guitars or, yeah. or vice versa, right? Just Yeah, just like a straight-headed, you know, kind of sort of rough-and-ready rock band. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was it was just interesting to, to listen back to that and, and uh, kind of have a little bit of that influence. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it, you can hear it on there, but and it's great the way it works. Now, Labrador, which is... Uh, Another track on the record, it, you know, it talks about in the lyrics, you know, about when we first met, you know, I was, I was ha- happier, proud to be your pet. Just kind of that feeling, yeah. you know, <laughs> of, of a relationship, but then also of kind of, of being burned. I mean, I, I see some of the thoughts on this record and, you know, some of the ideas and concepts and metaphors for kind of shaking off the people in your life that are negative influences or pulling you down and apart too so tell me about labrador was that about someone in particular a relationship you'd heard of or something you observed it, it, it was uh, an amalgamation of a, of a couple of things and and the idea started because um i was thinking about like a long time ago i had this boyfriend who you know anytime i would kind of like bring up our relationship he would say um you know like a dog is always loyal to you like or a dog will always love you no matter what like <laughs> i kept sort of feeling like you know, I'm not a dog. Uh, it's like so. It, it seemed like he was sort of just uh, comparing our relationship to, uh, you know, how perfect it would be if I was a know, dog and a master, yeah. right? Yeah, or or just um, a dog and, a, and an owner. Yeah, or just like kind of exhibited this clear feeling of, you know, the perfect relationship to me is one is mirrored by a dog and his master, and and um, so I was thinking about that and uh, how. You know, loyalty can keep you in situations that are unhealthy, and it's very hard to know, you know, when the loyalty's not not justif- justified anymore, or when it's gone too far. And you know, like that—that's a, a very great trait to be, you know, a loyal friend or a partner. But at some point, when you're taking too much abuse, you kind of have to, you know, step be, back because yeah, sometimes back. relationships change too. Like the yeah. person that another person is involved with. There's this turning point where yeah. they turn into something more, yeah. that's more negative and a negative influence. Is and in this song, down. it's like the point where the narrator, the guy sort of realizes, at, you know, at the same time, I got to get out of this. I see this person's behavior really clearly. And also here was my part in it, you know, that I I, I kept coming back. You know, I, I kept like maybe out of a sense of loyalty. Yes. But. 
but you know it's still on me after a certain point and you know it's this kind of awareness of uh that he's got to get out of it but also with a lot of you know compassion for this other person you know i mean they're doing the best they can with what they have which is maybe not that much but i yeah. mean that's kind of where we all are we're yeah. doing the best we can with what we have now gumby on the album of course everybody when you see gumby you always think about the claymation characters <laughs> but i mean but there's a in, really interesting theme in there about in a relationship basically telling you know somebody who has a daughter you know, to actually, you know, pay more, pay more attention yeah. to, the, to that daughter, which is, you know, me as a, as a father who has two daughters, uh, you know, and then people get sometimes get lost in relationships and then, you know, they don't pay attention to their children or they forget their responsibility towards yeah. those kids. Now, is this something else that you observed and seen in other relationships or just? Well, this was a situation I started thinking about because I watched a couple of episodes of that <laughs> horrifying show, Hoarders. Yeah. And then, you know, and the hoarders are like such a it's like the saddest kind of addictive behavior because they it's very, very hard to you know, I mean, judging by these shows, it's, it seems like it's very hard to get get them to realize that they really have a problem. And also, like anytime anybody's trying to help them, they're met with this real resentment and hostility, like in such a crazy way. And, you know, and then the sad part is when you see that there's kids involved and the kids like have to end up, you know, like live with a relative because they're literally crowded out of their own house by stuff and the uh, living conditions become really, really unhealthy. And it's just like this tragic. So I started thinking about that kind of dynamic and how tragic that is and, and how frustrating, you know, dealing with somebody like that must be. And, uh, and the, you know, ultimate tragedy is that, that, that there's these kids that, that kind of really get left behind in that situation. Yeah. It is very sad. It's happened. I've, I've seen it myself with someone that I knew who was, you know, teased at school, which was terrible because they smelled like animals all the time because the mother was a hoarder of just animals, like a hundred cats in a house or Mm -hmm. dogs and chickens. It was just, and it was really sad and and bizarre at the same time. And out of a, you know, often it's like out of this, this sense of, you know, wanting to rescue these pets and wanting, you know, like wanting to do good in the world. Like, again, it's sort of like the Labrador thing. You know, it's like you want to be a good person but and your definition of being a good person is to rescue these things, but then it becomes you're you're sort of blind to how inappropriate it is and how you're really not helping them and you're not rescuing them and you can't take care of them. You're not taking care of them. Sometimes you end up, you know, people end up coming in there to to assess the situation and finding some animals dead that are under oh. things that they, you know it's oh, a I terrible know. situation. Yeah, I know. I've seen some of this happen like that. <laughs> you know, well, we found thirteen dead cats, so I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> Get out the hefty bags. It's just, yeah, that's a very, very sad story. It really is. It's the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. Now, Living a Lie, you worked with James Mercer on that yeah, track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. Have you guys had a you know, friendship for a long time? Or? No, I mean, you know, I've, I've sort of met him a couple of times, but, uh, you know, this song was written as a real duet, and, you know, really, like, it starts out with the male voice and, you know, and the two male and female kind of duet back and forth, and it really needed to... Uh, you know, a really strong voice. And he was the first guy that we thought of to, to sing. And, um, you know, I mean, I thought it was like a long shot and yeah, but it worked out. My manager was like, let's call, let's call his manager and see, you know, like you never know. Yeah. And it worked out. It worked out. He was in, he was in town and he came by, he was like very conscientious and hardworking and super, super nice. Now, speaking of asking people to do, uh, be a part of things, 
I love the people that you got to be in the videos. Let's talk about the two videos, one for Charmer and one for Labrador yeah, for yeah. this record. Now, in Charmer, I love the idea where you got Sharpling, Tom Sharpling, great guy, has oh, his own funny, podcast yeah. that's really funny, too. He does a, you know, the whole thing where he's suggesting as a director of your video. You know, about having the robot. That's so great. And yeah. when that thing arrives and, and the box opens, it's just it's such a classic moment. Yeah. And then once again, like just sheer, you know, sheer luck. You know, I mean, I needed somebody for the robot. And, and Laura Linney had, you know, I remember I'd met her at a show several years ago. And, and that, you know, my memory was that I'm like, I think she's a fan. Like, we had her numbers. Like, I don't know. Let's call. Like, you know, I mean, what's the worst that she could do is say no. And then again, just like a stroke of luck, like she was in town. I shot it in in New York this summer, and it was a hundred degrees. And she, you know, and she was like a total trooper, like right there, had some time off, and uh, was completely game for anything. So she was amazing. Now, in the other video too, uh, you know, for Labrador, you asked John Hamm, of course, from Mad Men, yeah, to be in that, and Ted Leo, Ted Leo, and the Ted pharmacist Leo, yeah. is in it, and uh, and John Worcester, of course, who's one of the busiest guys in rock between like Mountain Goats, Super Chunk, Bob Mold, everybody. You know yeah. what I mean? He's uh, and he's great, and he's also funny. He does all that stuff with he's Tom. A, he's a great the, mu- the great music comedy hybrid personality. Yeah, and a great he's drummer, super funny, <laughs> and you know he's great, great at improv. I mean, he's amazing. Yeah, I mean, he was just dying at the idea of participating in that. That Voices Carry remake. He's and, like, I can't, I've got to be that guy. I've got to be that guy. And I like what he's being interviewed in the beginning and the behind the scenes. Yeah. And he's talking about, I think he calls Stanley Kubrick, uh, Kubrick. Kubrick or something. Yeah. It was really great. <laughs> he, he's terrific. And you know, Tom Sharpling is just, he's so funny. And he's, yeah. um, I, I love his videos. I think he's a great director. And I think his, you know, his ideas are great. And uh, we did these two videos at the same time. We shot both of them in three days, which was crazy. And, uh, you know, I mean, he sent me these two ideas. I'm like, great, let's do it. It's amazing. And how about John Hamm? You said you begged him to do it or asked him to I do it. I did because go? he's so busy. I felt really bad. I really felt bad. And I I texted him and, you know, and he was busy. And then we sort of realized that we could shoot it later. And I texted him again. I'm like, I'm so sorry to bother you. Because, I mean, he just he's doing all this other stuff. And, you know, and I do. I feel, you know, I mean, I know him, but, like, not that, not super well. And I... I don't know, like the remake of the Voices Carry video, and I just felt like it was an important thing, and I really wanted. There were some other names of people that we, you know, could have gotten, and I just really wanted somebody who, like, I knew and and really cared about, like I, you know, because he's such a great guy, and I just wanted like somebody that was a little closer to me to to be in it. Yeah, well, I mean, just, so the begging worked. God bless him. It ended up uh, being great. It really did. He's terrific. Now uh, you also did uh, Portlandia. Uh, in season yeah. two, and I, I just shot an episode for season three with them. I went out there, which was so much fun for Fantastic. me. Fantastic! I you love know? Fred. I mean, yeah. I think he's the funniest guy. Yeah, he's amazing. He's yeah. so funny, and I Carrie's great genius. too. I think he's yeah. They're they're a great comedy team, and they're amazing, and their their improv together is incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like he well, apparently, like Carrie had had this experience where she hired a cleaning service, and the woman who showed up was somebody who was was in a band that she knew. Yeah. And and it was, you know, and so uncomfortable. I, yeah, it was uncomfortable. So her and Fred, you know, were like, OK, so su- suppose it was like this person and, you know, like how suppose the two of us. So that that was the jumping off point for for the idea to have me be in the video. I mean, in the in the episode. 
You know, somebody asked me, really, this is out of left field, but they asked me to ask you what you thought of Rush finally being nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame after you sang on, uh, what was Time Stand Still? Uh, you know, uh, people, people who love Rush are in love with Rush till death do us part. Like, they're such an important band to people and so many people that you wouldn't expect. So I do feel like they're, you know, I mean, it's not like my kind of thing, really. I yeah. can I appreciate the musicianship, but it's not really my kind of thing. So I, I, you know, I definitely like feel that they're this sort of seminal band that a, a lot of musicians look up to. I mean, or some people maybe got into them when they were younger and they were real, you know, a big influence. Yeah, on them yeah, for to sure. play. But um, yeah, it was that's one of those bands that everybody always, uh, you know, had a bone of contention with not getting nominated. Or their fans because their uh-huh. fans are so passionate, as you said. Well, now they're in. They should be happy. Yeah. yeah. So it looks like that'll hopefully that'll go well. Um, you know, I always loved and wanted to talk to you about uh, the Forgotten Arm because I know at one point you got you were going to turn that into a theatrical experience, yeah, a musical. That's that's a- ongoing because we, uh, well, I was writing new songs for it with Paul Bryan, who produced my this record, and you know because I, I really felt like it probably needed, I like having sort of rock songs in a musical for me as an audience member doesn't work that well. So I wanted to have some other different kinds of songs to balance it out. We had had an idea for the plot of it that we ended up feeling like was kind of too cliche and not was not going to work. So we have a totally different idea and a different writer. It's David Henry Huang who wrote *M Butterfly*, but he's he's so busy and he was like writing a movie and he's got you know sort of plays out and so he's just been really busy. Um, But as soon you know, I think that we'll probably hook up again when I'm done with, with touring and then I can come back out to New York and we can, we can start it up. You know, we have, we have like a new outline, but, but it's, he, when he just has to have time to write the, to write a draft so we can kind of get back into it. Was it one of the reasons why, you know, cause I've, I've read it that, it, you know, because of the fighter at that time that you felt it was close in plot line. With it was too, yeah. You know, I think that with, with boxing movies, I mean, it's too, you know, like there's like a rags to riches to rags kind of thing, you know, like it just, it's easy to get it too too cliched, and we we came up with like a really totally different different thing that still utilized the the older you know the songs on the record and and made sense. But uh, I think know, there's been enough time. I think stuff. it's so it's time you know it's gone by since that movie. Well, I think I mean I think we have you know I didn't want to make it so much a boxing thing. Yeah, because there were a bunch of different uh, other elements and other themes in it. So yeah, so I, I didn't want to make it so much like. The story yeah. of a boxer. But speaking of boxing, you, you you're very fond of boxing, right? And yeah, you took some yeah, yeah. training. St- tell me about that. I, I did. I ha- I don't. I, I had this thing with my eye where I couldn't wear contact lenses anymore, so it's it's a lot harder to box when you're wearing glasses. So yeah. I really haven't. You know, I haven't been boxing in a while. But when I'm did you start? How old were you? I like ten years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the guy you trained with, because is he. Freddie Roach, yeah. yeah. Well, he's we're like buddies now, but um, and I haven't trained with him in, in a long time because he he's just taken on so many fighters that he's never around. Um, but yeah, like he's Manny Pacquiao's f- trainer and uh, Cesar Chavez Jr.'s trainer. And yeah, how'd you guys yeah. get hooked up? Did you just actually go to him with the interest of doing it? Or? Um, a friend of mine worked out at the Wild Card Gym, which is his gym, and I started working out there and and just met, you know, and he was like. Uh, you know, come on, let's do mitts. You know, let's do mitts together. We just became friends. He's from Boston, and I think like he knew till Tuesday, and you know, I think he was, he was kind of fond of that sort of Boston connection. He's a great guy. What 
about uh, growing up there? What, what kind of music were you listening to? A lot of Boston bands in your early years, Amy. Um, I didn't grow up in Boston. I went there to go to school. So when I was like eighteen or nineteen, I came to Boston. Where did you come from? Virginia. Oh, Virginia. Okay. And there was virtually no music scene, and uh, it was Richmond, Virginia. There was virtually no music scene there. Um, I, but there was huge music scene in Boston at that point. It was like a hundred clubs. I mean, I I actually supported myself just playing you know not with a lot of money but just playing clubs in boston like going to the rat or yeah. going here or yeah, something yeah. like that how many how many different clubs did you play say in a week did you do it on a regular we probably play like three or four times a week you know opening for bands or you know that was great who yeah, were some of the people that you, you played with back then well a lot you know like a lot of sort of new wave bands you know that the cars uh, neighborhoods people like that yeah that uh, cars i think they were already up and running yeah uh, neighborhoods for sure yeah um, human sexual response. Yeah, they were like the, the outlets. Yeah. Remember those? Guys? <laughs> That's right. The outlets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, there, you know, there were so many bands. It yeah. was really exciting. Was it a fun time? And how was? It was uh, really fun. Yeah. Was that with Till Tuesday or before that? With your that was young that snakes? was before Till Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. The, my first band was called the Young Snakes, and it was right. really just like this noise, noise art, new wave kind of ridiculous thing. Where I was heavily influenced by Nina Hagen, so I was, you know, singing in this like sort of pseudo-operatic, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's like we were kids and just sort of playing around and kind of seeing what we liked. And, and I got sick of that because I think, my, you know, pop music is more just, you know, more my nature. Um, but, yeah, until Tuesday, you know, we, we played all up and down New England and, you know, and supported ourselves. And what was, it, what was the first show you did in New York? Was it with, uh, did you come down with the Young Snakes or? We didn't know. We never played in New York. We didn't. I, I didn't play in New York very much. I have to say, because you could support yourself in Boston with the, yeah, with the vibrant yeah, club yeah. scene. I mean, New York was just like so, such like a big deal, and yeah, we were we were like real New Englandy, uh, you know. Yeah, up and around Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Vermont, New yeah. Manchester, New Hampshire. That's right. Like yeah. That. yeah. Wow. So yeah, we went up. We didn't go down. <laughs> but that's good, though. You probably brought uh, more music to a star- more starved area. Stuff, <laughs> Maybe, you yeah. Know? Uh, and we were, we were, I'd asked you earlier, and it's, it's funny when you look back, because, of course, we're sitting here in the MTV building, but um, when you guys won that Best New Artist Award for the video for Voices Carry, and yeah. it came out, God, a lifetime ago, right? Yeah, yeah, virtually a totally different lifetime, yeah. So tell me about what you're, how much touring you're going to do for Charmer now. I know that you're... Um, we we're just starting the second half of our tour, um, and we'll be out for a month, and then we we're doing like a couple three weeks in in Europe in January, and then I'll probably do some more stuff in in the summer. But um, but that's all that's that's on the schedule right now. You know, you have such a uh, great amount of catalog now, and not to use the word catalog, but just yeah. a backlog of great songs. How is it breaking those down in in a set now? I mean. Um, for this set, because I, I have a full band and I haven't, the last few years, it's just been kind of a semi-acoustic situation, but we had a full band with, you know, electric guitar and bass and drums and everything. And, and so I'm playing a, a lot of new stuff, but older stuff too, that I haven't been able to play that kind of needs, you know, the, the full band electric guitar treatment. So it's, um, yeah, it's a lot of, uh, more stuff from Bachelor number two and yeah. And uh, Smilers, not Everyone not smiles. very much from Smilers. No. Yeah, like you know, we went sort of earlier. Yeah, well, that's good though. Yeah. Speaking of going earlier, have you ever uh, run into Paul Thomas Anderson again after? Uh, I you know? saw him about a year ago, um, or about a year and a half ago. I just ran into him in a 
in a diner. But um, That's where I ran yeah. into him, in a diner here with his Is daughter. Right? <laughs> sitting in a high chair a few years back. That's so funny. And I thought his daughter was, she was just a cute kid. And I just went, you have a beautiful daughter. And he looked at me and just said, Matt, Pinfield? I'm like, yeah. So we just started talking. And I found out that he was a big 120 fan and a new music fan. So we sat and talked for about a half an hour. Fantastic. But yeah. um, have you seen his new movie? I have. I think it's terrific. Yeah. yeah, I think it's I think it's really great. It's amazing stuff. Yeah. It really is. So, what about you doing any more soundtrack stuff? Um, you know, I, I think that that Magnolia thing was just such a one in a million kind of situation. I mean, I there's not a lot of directors who want to have one artist do you know a bunch of songs for a for a movie. If even if they did, a lot of times they don't really have the authority or they're not that involved with music and you know you know what I mean I think Paul is just uh just kind of a unique a unique director in that he's really involved with music and uses it in an, in an interesting way in his movies and um, he really it just does. doesn't come around very often you know? I know he's a great director yeah you know he only makes movies every, every few years anyway yeah. so he's really terrific he's great Amy, I want to just say thank you so much for coming by today. It was just great to see you again. It's good to see you again. You know, and uh, we look forward. So people go out and pick up the new album. It's called Charmer, and uh, and definitely catch Amy live on the road. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. It's the Hivecast. This has been the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. For all things music, news, interviews, live events, and more, go to mtvhive.com.